Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes some of the best art materials that you can get. You can find their products online at goldenpaints.com or in your local art store. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes incredible coffee that you can have delivered to your door. Check out their website, fulcrumcoffee.com, where you can order subscription coffee services to have different blends delivered straight to your door, and you could save by entering code ALFREDSTUDIO when you check out. artist born in Berkeley, California, who graduated from the Cooper Union in 2003. She set solo exhibitions at Hesse Flatow in New York, Deborah Gallery in Los Angeles, Nikel Beauchamp Gallery in New York, Gildan Gray School in New York, and Rare in New York. Group exhibitions include Morgan Lehman, Jeff Bailey, Mark Wolf Contemporary, Jeffrey Young, Great Barrington, and Robertson Tilton. She's completed residencies at the Palazzo Monti in Brescia, Italy, the Fairpath Foundation in Dijon, France, and Idlewild, California. Her work is held in the Perma Collection of MoMA in New York. She currently lives and works in Hudson Valley. We talk about technique, landscape, AI, art and writing, and much more. Here's our conversation. Are you upstate? I am upstate. Yeah, I'm. I'm at my house. We got about a foot of snow. Nice. Yesterday. That's kind of what you sign up for, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so this is a lot easier than me going to my studio where there's no internet. Do you? Uh, do you have a fireplace? Sorry, we this, do. These are personal questions. We do. Um, and actually, I we can't use it right now because and if I start shrieking hysterically it's because there's a bat in here somewhere what the it's got in through the fireplace wow and uh yeah we've actually been sleeping in the guest bedroom for the last two nights the, does the bat prefer your real bedroom <laughs> the bat is in this in in our room and we closed the door so it's in here somewhere but the from my research i only have experience with california bats sure but Apparently over here they they hibernate, so it's very possible he's just going to hang out. Literally, in here he found his way in. It's warm in here. He's just going to stay put. They hang. Literally, they hang out. They hang out. Yes, they, they hang sleep out. hanging. Right. Yeah. The hell! I don't know anything about bats. I mean, I'm I'm a fan, so I don't want to hurt it. Um, but. I don't think that if we open the, you, what they say is like open the doors and windows and like shoo it out. Sure. But it's hibernating and it's warmer in here than it is out there. So it's not going to go out there. 
Yeah, you don't want to have the windows and doors open when there's no. a foot of snow out. No. So is your is your studio near or is it far? I my studio is in Beacon. Oh wow. <clears throat> yeah. So um, I don't that could be near or far depending on where you I'm not asking for your exact location, but is it is that close to where you are or far? It's far? uh between fifteen and twenty minutes. Okay. Yeah. Depending on which route you take. Sure. I've spent a lot of time in Beacon over the years here and there. Yeah. How is it these days? I mean, Beacon is a little artist utopia. It's great. I love it. Um, It's got a lot of the sort of friendly neighborhood stuff that Brooklyn has. Um, My studio's in the old Beacon High School. Nice. So it's been converted into all these studios. Is that near and, um, the Dia? I'm trying to. It's think near the Dia. I mean, everything in Beacon is walkable, right. but I mean, it's sort of on the other end of Main Street than Dia. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know it. Yeah, over towards the waterfall. Hmm. <clears throat> you know, I used to show with Max Protech back in the day, like a long time ago, and he had bought that building. Yeah. And that property before he's like he was a trailblazer like he was one of the i think he was the first or one of the first people in chelsea when when it was all taxi cab repair shops yeah. so he had trailblazed up there and got that space and so i think it's over there right so the building that i'm in is owned by ethan cohen wow the gallerist yeah yeah there so it's not that far but when it's a foot of snow out that's that's prohibitive yeah, we live on a mountain, so you know, uh it's actually it's harder for us to get out than to than to get in. Beacon's probably totally manageable right now. Same thing with bats. It's yeah. harder to get out than to get in. <laughs> um so but you you're from California originally, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like born and raised born and raised Berkeley? I'm third I'm third generation Bay Area. So what what were your parents? What were they up to? My, well, um, my mom was an architect. And my dad worked in a grocery store. uh, But he also did music on his own. He's a guitarist. So he's in a band now. What kind of music did he Um, So right now he's in, he's in, they do covers. They play like, you know, events. Rock and Um, roll? Yep. Yeah. Rock covers, they're good. So what do they have? Are they out there? Do they have like name and I mean promote them? They uh, they're called the Three Day Weekend. Nice. Where do they where do they play mostly? Um, Or all over? In and around the Bay Area, I think Richmond, Napa. I think at times. Sure, that's fertile music territory. Yeah. So he was a musician slash job, had a job in your Yeah, he had a job. Tech. He worked in the produce section of a grocery store. Um, nice. But when he retired, he got back into the music more full time. Now, was produce always good in the house because of this? It, it was. Yeah, actually. You, I would imagine, right? Um, and you, were um, you in a mid-century modern house? No. <laughs> Architecturally... <laughs> avant-garde 
No, we were in a sort of well. So I was I was born in Oakland, and we were in like sort of a Victorian house in Oakland. Sure. Yeah, and then until I was ten. Um, but you know, it was the eighties, uh, crack epidemic. We lived like a few blocks away from a pretty rough area. So my parents moved to a little town just north of Berkeley. And that's more, it's just, it's a suburb. Yeah. Um, but I didn't care for it very much. So I wound up going to Berkeley High. Was that a my, longer commute? Not really. It was, it's only about a mile away. <clears throat> but I used my grandmother's address to go to Berkeley High. Nice. Real move. Now, did you, were you creative as a kid? I mean, you had music probably around. Uh, it, I would imagine he was jamming or practicing and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so both my parents music? just worked a lot, but I did, I did draw a lot. And since I can remember, um, and when I was in like middle school and high school, I pretty much lived in my sketchbook. Nice. What kind of, this is, sorry, tangential question. Does he, I'm, I'm a fan. What kind of guitar did he have? Do you remember? He's got like 30 guitars. Oh, nice. Did you ever play? No, I mean, well, in when I was in junior high, he gave me a guitar and tried to teach me to play. But I think it's just it's always his thing. Yeah, that's. Cool. I had boyfriends and guy friends in high school that would come over and hang out with him. And they'd yeah. talk about guitars. That's a thing, you know. There's two types of guitar players: those who succumb to it and just amass a collection. And those who fight it off as best they possibly can, I think. I think he is succumbed. Yeah, he's all as in. is Brock. <clears throat> We're, we've got like thirty guitars in this house too. Oh wow, you're around guitars. That's a good place to be. You know, it suits me. But you didn't play any music, but you drew. Yeah, that was your yeah, thing all the time. And uh, was that fostered by mom and dad? I mean architects i feel like are usually embedded in some sort of creative you know drawing sensibility i mean that might yeah. be a stretch but yeah and i also i had a grandmother <clears throat> my my mom's mom was the head of oakland public libraries mm -hmm. and she was <clears throat> she was a big influence on me and she um I think she paid for most of my art lessons, but she was the first person where she had a very, she was very cultured and she had a lot of art hanging in her house. And, um, she just, she had a deep respect for the arts. Yeah. And, um, she was kind of like, this is a thing you should do. You're really good at it. And yeah. And actually when I was in high school, she gave me the spare room of her house as my studio. Wow. Was like my first That's good studio. support. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's so important to have supportive, you know, that environment of like, this is something you could do, you know? Yeah, yeah. She was a very serious person. So it wasn't, you know, she wasn't like warm and fuzzy, but she was like, art is a serious thing. You should take it seriously. Get You're an work. artist. <laughs> you should use this room as your studio. An artist needs a studio. That's pretty cool. So you, it wasn't like this hobby thing. It was kind of like, hey, do this. Yeah, she was like, you should take it seriously. And here you are. 
Yeah. You did take it seriously. <laughs> um, how many generations back is the Oakland Bay Area? Does it go far back? I mean, yeah. Um, my my grandparents on my dad's side were they grew up in Palo Alto. Like they're both there. I come from a long line of geologists or scientists, and my grandparents' parents worked at at Stanford, and then they moved to the Bay Area, and then they were. My grandmother was like a union organizer, and they were sort of civil rights activists and communists. Sure, and they got blacklisted. Oh and they moved out and they left. They went up to Mendocino. Okay. Um, and they bought some land up there and uh, it's still in the family. So I grew up going up to Mendocino a lot. So when you, okay, well, before we get into that, so you had this environment that was supportive and serious about creativity. And wait, did you have siblings? I do. I have a brother. He's a couple oh. years younger than me. He's an engineer. There you go. He went that way. <laughs> well, it sounds like there was an academic, you know, erudite sort of side, you know, then yeah. there was a creative side connected to that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. So when you went to like in high school and then going into college, I mean, was it something because of that experience, you felt like there was, oh, this is something I want to do. When did you feel, because you went to school in 2003, right? Or that's when you graduated. I graduated in 2003. Actually, it was supposed to be 2002. I took a semester off from Cooper to work. Mm -hmm. So I graduated like mid-semester. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I actually fought it for a while. I wasn't one of those kids who was like, I have to move to New York. I have to be an artist. I think that I had real doubts about whether it was even a viable option. Um, and I thought about other things, but there really wasn't anything else. Um, and then I went to the summer school at CCA, um, at CalArts. Mm-hmm. And I met, that was the first time that I met like, you know, real artist people. Yeah. And I had this friend there and she told me that I needed to go to Cooper Union. And I had never heard of Cooper Union. Right. Um, and I wasn't very ambitious. I really just like focused on working. I just wanted to make work all the time. And I didn't have any like, you know successful artist role models i really did i think i was told that it wasn't possible right well that's a common theme you know yeah. it's like you can't i mean what are yeah. you really going to do or like what's the job you're going to do because this right. isn't going to be it yeah right. that's like a common hurdle that i think anyone who wants to get into this you know thing to do for the rest of your life. It's like, okay, well, how do you make it work? There's not a sensibility of like, yeah, this is a career path. You can, you can do this. You can make a way to, you know, make it work. And it just, I don't know. It, yeah. it, it's not, there's not a lot of support for it, but you just wanted to make the way. And I feel like, I don't know if you agree with this or how it was when you were in school, but 
because I was in, especially undergrad pre-internet and it was only what your teachers told you, that was kind of all you knew. There was a sort of blissful ignorance to the severity of real life in a way. It was just, oh, I'll do this because I'm really into it and I'll just find a way to make it work. And then, you know, I grew up in a family that didn't have any money. So it wasn't like there was a pressure. Well, you got to do this or this is how much you need to make. What are you going to do? It was just kind of like, you know, just do it. Just go for it. I don't think that exists anymore. I think everyone has so much information at hand that they're like, oh, I'm going to, plus school wasn't as expensive then. Now it's like, well, you're going to go in debt and how are you going to pay for this? What are you going to do? You know, and people get ultra professional very quick or, or at least cognizant of that. Right. I mean, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't gone into Cooper because Cooper was still full scholarship then. Right. Um, and like I said before, I didn't like have my heart set on New York. I don't think I even really realized that that New York was the hub. I really didn't know anything. And when I got to Cooper, I was really like small fish in a big ocean. And I felt like, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of had to, it was a big learning curve for me. Yeah. But I did, I think it was just, it was so different then because there was this whole atmosphere of like, you know, your, your, your professors were artists mm -hmm. and, you know, we went to these openings and we actually were like rubbing up against real artists who were doing it. That was my first taste of like, oh, this is actually like a thing people do. You have to be really, really lucky and, or really independently wealthy, but it's like, it is possible. Um, and then I wound up working for a bunch of artists, well, not a bunch, but like a handful of artists after I graduated and during when I was still in school. But I worked for Jacqueline Humphreys for like six years mm -hmm. after I graduated. And that was a big inspiration for me, just like watching her do it, you know? And she yeah. just was very honest with me about like, the ups and downs of the art market and the brutality of it all. And the, you know, I mean, she, um, you know, she didn't sugarcoat it for me. Right. Um, that's a good education. That's like yeah. a grad school sort of. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't no go really to grad school. In that stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like even in grad school, they don't really teach. I mean, you get, you know, murmurings of here's what happens or whatever, but to, to work for someone who lays it out like that, or you see it in a way that's, well, it sounds like it was, wasn't toxic or anything though. It was just like, here's the reality. Yeah. I mean, she did. Yeah. Yeah. She was doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I didn't have any, like, I don't think I even had, I was like, well, I'm never going to do that well, but if I can just get by, I'll be really happy. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of was getting by. Like I had a show, you know, I was 25. So just like a couple years out of school and I had a show and then I was showing and I was, I was like living off my work and I was still working for other artists, but like, you know, I had, I had my own studio and I was doing it. Um, um, and then, uh, the i had a sh i had a solo show in 2028 i mean in um in 2008 
the and I had just had a baby. My my older son was was six months old, and I had a, a solo show at Nikel Shane. and that was just like within a month or two of the of the financial crash. Yeah, I was gonna say that's that's a rough time that to join the party. Yeah, so I think that I thought. I think I thought it was viable up until that point. And then it was like, you know, someone just like switched off all the money. Yeah. Um, and I had this new baby. And so I think we just uh, hunkered down for a while. Yeah. That time was really depressing, wasn't it? There was a weird vibe because, you know, I was in New York showing after September before and after September 11th. And that was obviously thing like that was huge and then even covid was a huge thing but i don't know that time was a real i mean obviously we're not talking about people's lives or like the other but just the overall kind of like vibe of the art world or what's going on it felt really kind of shitty then yeah it was you know we we weathered it okay because you know brock was able to work for Robert Longo at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really got us through. And I just had a little baby and it was like, it wasn't like I was getting to my studio all that much anyways. Yeah. I was just working in the, in the other bedroom. Um, and so it was like, you know, I think I just thought, well, at least I get to raise my kid yeah. I think I just focused on that for a couple years until things started like slowly trickling back in. It must be tough though and stressful. It's we I don't know different because my wife is not in art. You know what I mean? She has a more I don't know if a stable job. You know what I mean? Like she's yeah. just in the workforce. So it, that must be really stressful. Like I I th- you know, in certain times when like people are like freelance couples or when there's not that sort of like, you know, seeming like structure to things. I mean, I think we've always lived by the seat of our pants. You know, we're just always just kind of like, are we going to make this work? Are we going to, is this going to work? Are we going to be able to do this? Okay. We're doing it. We're doing we're, Yep. Okay. We're, we're still foods on the table. We're still here. We're still alive. We're still yeah. making our work. <clears throat> we've had good times and bad times but we just uh you know i think we neither one of us had that much money growing up and so you know it's always been just as long as we're making it through it's Doing okay what you want to do too yeah that's the beauty of it you're you know for that because those ups and downs happened in all you know areas of the workforce but if you're doing something you love to do, it's a lot easier to, you know, to ride those peaks and valleys, I think. Yeah. Yeah. My, my older son, he's 15 and he's much more like, he, he's very concerned with like security and, you know, wanting to know the right way of doing things. And like, he gets like amazing grades and he's in like honors and you know, he's, he's already so fixated on like where he's going to go to college or what he's going to be. And, you know, I, I'm sure that that's sort of, you know, seeing two like sort of (laughs) 
for lack of a better word, like we we did we never like had a plan. Right. It was always just aspirations. And we're lucky when they happen. Yeah. And the older sibling usually is the one who will want that structure or, you know, there's a safety in He's asked me how about our retirement. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what retirement? <laughs> like, Which well, is funny because that's more retire? for you guys. Oh, wow, that's yeah. so, that's so sweet actually. <laughs> See if we're probably the opposite. My wife is super structured. So like, Everything is mapped out. My son's like, yeah, we will be okay. Don't worry about it. You know, no matter what, just like, ah, it's going to be fine. Don't sweat it. Yeah. Like, no, no, you got to sweat. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens, right? Kids yeah. always sort of like push back mm-hmm. no matter what it is. I think mm-hmm. you're not skateboarding. That's the only thing I asked that you don't do a week later. I got this skateboard from my friend. I'm out skateboarding. You know, it's just, yeah. that's the way Meanwhile, it like, you know, Brock skateboarded. Brock's like, you should skateboard. Like here's here's a skateboard. He's like mm, that. That seems really dangerous. Inevitable. I feel like, you know, where if the same dad, like if he had said, "Do not touch my skateboard," right. sooner or later. I know we should have done. That's what we should have done. I told my son from a very early age, whenever you want a tattoo or mohawk, have at it. Right. <laughs> I'll never get one. <laughs> Um, so when you're working in, you know, and you've got your head down and you're making a lot of work at Cooper, what kind of stuff are you doing? Like, what kind of stuff were you doing going into it? And how did that experience shape you? And obviously you're, you're in New York city, you're making work all the time. And like you said, you're exposed to, I mean, a lot of people go to schools. Like I went to Penn state. I never went to New York much, maybe once. Mm -hmm. So you're there, you're seeing all this stuff. Was it what happened to your work and your creative, you know, efforts? I mean, I've always been a real technical artist. Like I, I've always been a draftsman, um, rendering, you know, like when I was teaching myself to draw, it was like copying things or, you know, I would just spend long hours practicing. Um, and then when I got to Cooper, uh, you know, it was really conceptual at the time. And I definitely took a lot of heat for being, you know, air quotes, illustrative. Yeah. Um, And I think I, I tried to fight it. And then at some point I was like, this is just, I don't, you know, you just make the work you make when you fight it. It doesn't work. Um, And I think I've also always felt some, responsibility to like have my work be appreciated by people who aren't art initiate aren't art initiates right um so i want to i i care about the way things look i'm i'm obsessed with my materials um i'm i'm obsessed with painting like i will just i could paint forever my i've not i don't have like painter's block i i have to narrow it down like i i have too much i want to do and i can't fit it all in um isn't it funny how that flipped like now because of instagram and stuff people love technical 
you know, or yeah. process and and the conceptual institutional critique or things about art about art is people most people are like what the f like who, I don't, you know what i mean people yeah, just don't really real... give a shit anymore they're just not as compelled by that they want to see you know what the i have a real disillusion with instagram at this point i mean i think it was great at the beginning and it did a lot of things i mean i think it really helped me helped my sort of second wave of my career yeah um so I'm grateful for that, but it's at this point I'm trying to stay off of it as much as possible. Yeah, I I don't I'm I'm kind of a dump and run sort of person. Yeah. It's yeah, but I I think as a teacher who teaches young college students and I most of them don't read art form or go to galleries, they just scroll Instagram. The beauty of what Instagram did where you could connect with all these people and see all this work and it sort of levels the field. Right. That critique of maybe things getting watered down and there's no real deeper engagement with the work in a sense. It's just like, mm -hmm. oh, that looks like that. That looks like, like there is something to be said for, and I try to work with kids just to, you know, take a deeper look on things at times. Or just know? go see things. What's that? Like, oh, you mean go, go like to a in gallery. person? Yeah. <laughs> go see <Just> things. <laughs> right. Do you ever see? Um, <laughs> or like yeah. you know, you could go to a gallery and check things out in real life. They they look a little different, and it's just this look like what and okay, you know, yeah, like it's yeah. that seems like a lot of work. I mean, I'm guilty of it too, though, because I don't see. Well, now that we're upstate, you know, I don't get down to the city as much as I would like, and I feel like there's just something wrong with seeing that many images. Like, are you know? my brain just was not meant to take in all those right. images and I kind of don't know what to do with it at the end. And I feel sort of brain indigestion. Yeah. It's like being force fed in general, yeah. you know, it, you just, it's too much. Like sugar. Yeah. Just because no everything's available value for input doesn't mean you should just shove it all in there, but we are like, you know, crack addled praying mantises who just sit there on the front like it it's weird it's a dopamine thing like you get into it i know it's like smoking really a care. cigarette like you yeah. just it's an addiction definitely it, trying it's to quit. well engineered you know in that but so yeah but there's a difference because we and i mean i know we're not the same age but i think we came up in a way pre but I wonder what it's like when that is your method. Like that's the default to always be inundated. You know, I don't, I don't know what that does. I don't either. It can't be good. But then I also think like maybe it's going to reach a kind of tipping point where people will just slide back into the other direction. Like they'll just, you know, realize that they need to go outside. Yeah. I mean, I know, I think it's already happening. I think that like since Twitter's kind of whatever's happening there, I, I'm not on Twitter, but I hear that people are going back to Discord and things and that maybe, maybe like a an entirely open platform isn't the best way to consume information. It's like no filter. It first felt good, but then I was like, maybe, maybe not, maybe not no filter all the time. 
right? Some filter. Maybe like lots of filters. Yeah. Well, it's like if you take music as an example, and I I love music and I want to take it all in, but sometimes Spotify can be overwhelming, you know, and people will go into radio stations now or like the the radio suggested thing because it's just, you know, curated in a way or you're there's some sort of filter there even though it's an algorithm but there i think there's a sensibility of like oh uh, let's let's put some sort of you know filter or device on all this intake i wouldn't know i don't really listen to music ever i mean i do i really i like music but i find it very intense i kind of only like it if somebody else puts it on Mm mm-hmm I can't, I have a really hard time putting it on myself. I cannot listen to music in my studio at all. Is it silence or is it like audio? No, I, I listen to podcasts or audiobooks constantly. Do you think it's a little bit because growing up your dad was always playing the music? Maybe, but I think it's also that I, I feel a lot like I am actually kind of a musical person. I have like pretty good recall and, you know, I, I, feel like I could in another life I could have done that and it's too intense for me like it's kind of like all or nothing like I can't listen to background music I can't really have a conversation if there's music going on in the background because I'm just yeah. listening to it That's and cool. if I if I hear yeah. a song a few times like I'll probably remember the lyrics so I can I can listen to it in the car right so I put it on the car and both my kids are real into music my older, my 15-year-old is like classically trained, classic guitar. He's an amazing student. On brand with the more yeah. <laughs> buttoned up. <laughs> Not a punk rocker. Yeah. And my little one, he's six. He's already like, he'll he'll hear a little tune and just like hum it right back. Like perfect, perfect recall. Got the ear. Yeah. Well, six and 15, that's a pretty healthy yeah. interim. Yeah. Yeah, well, what happened was we had the first one in the city, and uh, I was like, no way. Might oh, that, another one. That'll do it. Yeah. Nothing's no, it up here. And I was <laughs> like, oh, no. Nothing only, <laughs> only child syndrome more than being in the city where everything is so complicated. Just yeah. like getting to the so store is exhausting. Complicated. Yeah. It was just brutal. Um, But then, yeah, so my kids are almost nine years apart. But it's just kind of like having two only kids, right? But they're very they're very close. But my older one's more like it's he's more like um uncle or something, right? Yeah, yeah. That gap is more. There's there's no confusion there. There's no sibling rivalry. No, that ship has sailed. Yeah. Um. Well, but let's go back to the work you're making. So what, as you said, you were into technique and you were making, but. Um, did it, how did it change? Like, what was the stuff going in and what was the stuff coming out? How did you feel at the culmination of leaving Cooper, which it seemed like it was a little bit of a, not a butting of heads, but you know, you weren't quite as interested in that sort of like hyper conceptual or, or that realm and wanted to focus more on just the making of it. Yeah. I mean, I think that after cooper i kind of leaned into the to the technical side i mean i'm i've always like 
I'm always, I'm always making work about something, whether you see that or not. But I, I think I leaned into like the ornamentation and the sort of like, you know, like I was making really dense, colorful, jam-packed paintings. Um, and maybe that was just a reaction to feeling like, you know, everything had to be sort of slick and, you know, you had to have like sort of a ready-made paragraph about what it was. And I just, I, I didn't, that wasn't ever really natural to me. Um, yeah. And then I think, um, I, after I had my first set Torben, I started making this work that was very, like, about a stage. Like, I, everything, I wanted everything to be really balanced. And I think the way for me to harness all the imagery that I wanted to cram in was to create a really simplified platform. So I started painting, like, stages and sort of controlling the imagined lighting and having everything be very central and um like and I think I'm I'm still I still work that way like everything is essentially set up like a like a theater stage or a kind of a shrine or an altar where everything is balanced to me and I don't I I kind of need the stillness of that. Like I don't I don't I don't have actions in my paintings. It makes me very uncomfortable. I kind of need the painting to be timeless so that I'm sitting there painting it and I'm in like like a static time. Right. Yeah, that resonates with the whole music can't be it. Like you need that focus, that sort of still I'm creating this, it's here, I'm locked in, sort of. Yeah, yeah, and I need the the pacing of a story or someone talking that my my sense of time goes to what, what that's hap- what's happening in that. And then um, what I'm working on is like in another dimension or something. And I've noticed this interesting thing happens where whatever I'm listening to is like a visual, like what I'm painting becomes like a visual recording of mm-hmm. what's going on in my head at the time. I'm sure that a lot of people have that, but I definitely like if I'm listening to an audiobook and, and working on a painting, I kind of need to stay and I'll, I'll, I'll like parse it out so that I don't run out of the audiobook before the painting is done. Right. Yeah. I kind of like need it to to get working. It's also a really good way to get working again. So like if I'm if I'm working on a painting, sometimes when you come in in the morning you forget where you were and triggering that like putting on this the the audiobook where it left off it jolts me back into what I was doing with the painting. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes when I leave the studio, if I'm not there for a day or two, when I come back, sometimes I'll put the same song on I was listening to. Yeah. Or I'll listen to the same podcast. It's that continuity. And I always have this fear if I'm gone too long that I will somehow disconnect with the painting. Oh, yeah. That happens. That happens. That's yeah, real. I don't, I don't like that. 
No, Although it's like you almost need to start over. Yeah, but sometimes when it happens, it's almost like you bring a fresh angle to it. It can actually be okay, but it feels very uncomfortable, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've definitely had paintings that sat around for like years and I picked them back up, but it's almost like then they have to like freeze and you rethaw them. Right. There has to be like a big enough amount of time. Like a few weeks is too, I don't like a few weeks. Yeah. I either need to like work on it continuously or just like put it away. Oh, so it's either it's either really short or really long. Yeah. I've never done like a, a really long one. Oh well, I mean like the duration of painting them, it it ta- I'm it takes me like it takes me I I think I'm a pretty fast painter, but they're so I usually create like pretty big labor demands for myself so they do take a while are we talking like weeks months um so like this last show that i just did at hasflato um i was working on that for a whole year and i i like to kind of have a lot of them going at once so it feels like they're kind of all i'm i'm bouncing around from different painting and I really don't like to finish them until they I kind of want them all to get finished at the same time right like if I finish a painting and it's sitting around it makes me feel very edgy so funny I'm the exact opposite I can't do one and move on yeah and if I have two or three going it it becomes problematic because I'll start using some of the paint from one for the other or I'll start adding they'll influence each other in a way that i don't think is productive i'm Mm. just doing it out of being lazy or just oh use some of that gray over there i don't know it distracts me oh i do that all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it makes sense like if you're working on a group of work and you want that consistent palette or it can be totally right on for some some people's work you know it's just the way i do it i have to i like to do one image and then move on to the next one then yeah. the next one it's weird we we have these quirks you know the way we like the work artists yeah. it's really interesting how different it could be um, but all these images that you're coming up with all imagined yeah 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 i mean i i use reference images right um but they're like here and there so you know if i need to paint like you know a chain which actually chains are one of the things that i do use references for like i have chains in my studio and i kind of lay them out and photograph them and use that use those as references but like everything else is pretty much i'll i'll have like a big folder full of images of whatever crocs whatever i'm painting yeah. yeah and then i'll look at them a lot and then i kind of put them away and do the painting do you have spray bottles in the studio or do you use photos I do. yeah you do yeah yeah it's cool um are there are there people that i mean we all look at everything mm-hmm. and then there's certain things that we look at that we're just we love that have nothing to do with the work and then there's certain artists we look at that are like you feel kinship usually to the way that you're working. And even though you may not be taking from that, you might just be inspired. Do you have some of those people 
Yeah, I've always thought that like the the paint the painters that I'm really looking at that I really really love are you would not guess from looking at my work. Right. Yeah. Like I think my favorite painting painter of all times is Fouillard. Nice. And I love Bonnard. I we I just um saw the Bonnard show and when it was like six months ago or something and it was just like mind blowing. And I felt yeah. like I went back to my studio and I, I always like, I don't paint that way, you know, like I can't, <clears throat> I can't paint that way. I don't even know if I want to paint that way, but I love that way of painting. Yeah. Who else do I look at? I love Tom Niskowski. He's great. Wasn't he? I love, I love every single Tom Niskowski painting. And yeah, there weren't a lot of clunkers. He, no, pretty, there there yeah. are none because he uses this same. He has like this way of like you know all the paintings are so worked and everyone is like on the verge of being a thing, but it isn't. Yeah, but but I have no place for that in my work. And like, of course, I, I love Philip Guston as everyone does. And I've always thought, like, I really want to make a Philip Guston one day, like, just for myself, like, go and paint one from life or something, you know, like, right. do make make, make a like. replica for myself just to yeah. get it out of my system, <laughs> because I have no place for it in my work, really. Right. But I love it. And it looks so fun. And I want I want to paint that way, but I just don't. <laughs> no, I totally get it. I mean, Manet is one of my favorite artists of all time. Yeah. I'm not busting out any mayonnaise although there's there can be elements of a sensibility that you can connect to even though aesthetically i don't make work like that there can be some sensibilities in the work that although i i don't really do it but you know a guitar in the corner and the idea of sound and or the the composition or things like that that maybe unconsciously that you can sort of seep their way into what you're interested in building might happen. But yeah, I agree. It's, there's so much. So it, it it can be frustrating sometimes too, because people, when they see the work, your, your work, proverbial, you, whoever it is, Oh, you must like blah, 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 blah. It's like the same right. five people. Right. Know? Right. Right. Like I get Bosch and Bruegel all the time, which I do love Bosch and Bruegel. Bruegel. Um, Archambaldo, I'm sure, because yeah, you've like, done totally. a portrait with yeah. something else and, yeah, it's the same yeah. cast. Of I mean, characters. I do, I do love them, but I don't know that I really need to like spend a whole lot of time looking at them. Right, because your sensibility wasn't informed by just looking at five artists. Those five artists, it just happens that your sensibility resonates with the way those paintings look in in some way, shape, or form. To yeah. on the surface, just the aesthetic, mm -hmm. maybe not necessarily conceptually or the or the other the things that you're trying to talk about aren't the same things they were trying to talk about, but they just, there's a look there that resonates. So people say, Oh, you must like, I mean, I used to always get, you know, Alex Katz or Sheila or whoever, like those right. group of people, you know, with that. I, I love those paintings, but that's not, wasn't setting out to just make a version of that, you know? Right. Right. Like, and I feel like I kind of need to be looking, like I'm looking at a bunch of Turner paintings lately nice. which i've always loved turner and I, in my spare time i make like tiny turner 
copies on rocks. Whoa. I could make tiny little I copy Turner paintings on like smooth rocks. Nice. Do you leave them in the wild or do you keep them? I keep them. <laughs> be pretty interesting to be out in the nature and just bump bump into a mini Yeah, they Turner. take too long for that. Yeah, right. I'm not giving those away for free. <laughs> but I feel like I need to like I need to look at that kind of light that those kind of like like there's no like edges in his paintings yeah and i am so like i have such a tendency to go in and rigid and drawing like bruegel and bruegel is so drawing they're, they're so about the lines and the drawing and i i can get kind of like too bogged down in that that i need to look at like we is like such a those paintings are so atmospheric they're so like the the light is the color yeah they're not really about the drawing bernard too yeah and bernard too yeah i could totally see that as a you know a touch point in a way yeah like i kind of need i need to i'm drawn towards that to like pull myself out of the end zone that i'm in right so did moving, I don't know, how long were you in the city after you graduated before you moved out of the city? We were, um, I, I mean, I moved to the city in 1998. And then um, we moved upstate in 2015. Mm -hmm. um, but we still had our apartment for some years. We actually got rid of it, well, we sublet it during the uh, pandemic. Were you, were you in Brooklyn? Yeah, like East Williamsburg, Bushwick. That's where I am. Really? Yeah. Oh. Were you by Cooper Park? Um, I went to Cooper Park, Cooper Park all the time. I took my kid there like every day. Oh, really? My Little playground there. Was, you, you, are you by Cooper Park? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's a nice one. Yeah. Your studio was near there. Yeah, we had a bunch of. I mean, I had a studio on Morgan. For a while and then a studio in meadows that's where my studio so yeah we were in the same place the the morgan studio was that the one right on cooper park um no or was it, it was on the like on the or or it was on metropolitan, metropolitan yeah, yeah. i know that building yeah 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 yeah, yeah. big old that, people this is a yeah, crazy yeah. building <laughs> yeah yeah there's a there's a history to that one there's yeah been a lot of people through there yeah uh, yeah, so that's right in the neighborhood. So when you moved out, did the work change? I mean, you're in nature, you probably have more space, I'm guessing, yeah. or at least you're around more space between humans. Yeah, well, when we moved out, when we moved up here, I think it took me like a year or two at least to start really making anything worthwhile again. Like, mm -hmm. I think that just like moving and figuring out the house and and I had still had a little kid at the time. We had a lot going on. Mm, I was just sort of preoccupied. And then I was just kind of taking it all in. And then when I started really like getting to work again, it was really, I started looking at the Hudson River School. Cool. A lot. Yeah. Those, Cause I mean, yeah. I was seeing it. Like, I mean, I, we live on a mountain and like my view, I can see to the, the Catskills. Nice. So you're actually on the mountain. Yeah, we're on a mountain. Yeah. And it yeah, looks... it's, it's funny, those paintings, when you see them before experiencing the landscape, you're like, oh, those are 
majestic, big old landscapes. But then when you're there and you imagine these people seeing that for the first time or when they were experiencing that, you kind of under, understand the sublime, you know? You can totally understand why you would need to dedicate the rest of your life to making paintings about it. Yeah. And being in awe that something made this, you know? It was like the first time I went to Notre Dame. I was like, oh my God, now I understand why people become religious. Yeah. You walk into that <laughs> building and you're, you know? It's like, well, yeah. that's really impressive. It's, yeah, it's very I think charismatic. I spent... I spent like a couple years in my studio. So we we both had studios here. Now I have a studio in Beacon, but 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 um, when we first moved in, my studio was just um, like the finished basement. It's because we're on a real steep slope. Like the the basement is not really a basement. It's yeah, kind of out from under the building. So I had these windows that looked out, and I had this incredible view. And I started. It was it was totally unconscious, but I started making this work that was really like about pushing this extreme between foreground and horizon, and it just happened naturally. But like I I started realizing that I needed to like push it as far as it could go. So like bringing things closer and closer and closer to the foreground, and then having it just this like expanse. So kind of unconsciously, not even just taking in the view of the nature, but the relationship to the landscape. Yeah, like everything before had been very flattening. And I had done landscape paintings as kind of stage flats. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted the the landscape to be like very like in quotation marks. Like I didn't want, you know, I wanted it to be this sort of pastoral ideal and it was less about the atmosphere of it and more just about like the concept of it. Right. Um, but then when I'm actually living in it, atmosphere became a much more important thing for me to try to communicate. And I was, think where does remote view fall into this time frame? Remote view was like the first <clears throat> show I had with DeBoer in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. But that was done in relation to this view or this relationship to the landscape. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I mean, I made all that work when my kids were home. <laughs> so that it was, it was a weird body of work to make. It was very, yeah. it's very dreamscape. Um, I was working just kind of all over the house too, because I couldn't really even get to my studio because I had, I think my youngest was like two or three Oof. when the pandemic started. There's so a good I and was, a bad to that probably. Yeah. Yeah. The good right. is they're not really, I mean, when you have a teenager at that point, it's hard because socially. Yeah. But when they're that little, they're like, well, yeah, whatever. And you oh, work yeah. in the city, so you could actually go outside and stuff so yeah it was it was never a better time to have moved upstate yeah nice one good move yeah. good plan <laughs> pandemic <laughs> yeah uh but yeah um, but I, I would imagine that had a big 
your your house just became a studio like wherever you could get it in i mean i was like i bought this like outdoor kind of easel i bought this like cheap aluminum easel that i could that was really light and i could take it outside and i would just set up outside and i'd paint during his naps and i'd you know paint in the kitchen and paint in the dining room paint it in my bedroom sure so they all had to be like sort of a manageable size oh yeah no giant you you can't lug around like a seven foot painting between room to room right no i was just pushing the limits of what was comfortable to paint in in the house yeah how how much stuff did we buy during that time that we never would have bought outside the pandemic amazon just had a field day brock bought like he brought i think he bought like 30 guitars <laughs> i mean we're we got to do something you know yeah. it was there wasn't much going on it, it was extreme though like every day that this like guitar sized thing would show up for you know amazon what wherever he ordered it from he was ordering weird guitars from like all over the world too <laughs> and they, these boxes would show up and i'd be like please don't tell me you bought another, another guitar <laughs> Yeah, we all had to cope, you know? Yeah. We all had to get through it somehow. If that means ordering a guitar from Kathmandu, so be it. Yeah. <laughs> all the better for it. Um, So whenever you uh got out of that, I mean, did, did the work change as a result? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I did that show at DeBoer, and then I did a show at Hesplato the next year um hyper pastoral and that was really i i was able to be in my studio for that and normal working situation yeah it was a little bit there was a little more normalcy to it not i wouldn't say it was normal but it was more normal (laughs) a little Um, less bizarre yeah yeah so the kids were i guess they were back in school no it was still kind of the pandemic half and half it was split but it was just this like you know oh my god i can i get down there for a couple hours it was all just like made you know just like patching time slots together balancing who can get what where and to get that show done and that was so, that was the biggest show that I'd had up to that point because it's a it's a pretty big space, her space. Yeah, so it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. It was too much work for my studio. Like it barely fit in my studio. Oh, and as per what you were talking about earlier, that must have gave given you some anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> having all those finished paintings around. It was. I mean, yeah, I'm always worried I'm gonna like ruin a painting. Like if if a painting feels finished, then I'm gonna just keep working on it and ruin it. Um, so I like to like kind of leave things till the last, leaves like some finishing touches to the last minute. And it was just really hard to do because I was stacking the paintings all on top of each other, and I actually like did nearly ruin a painting just by just because I it was like physically hard to move the paintings around in the space they made it though yeah so and the big difference because you just had the show right came down and on my birthday 
We won't say what date what that was. That's why I remember the last day of your show was my birthday. Um, but what was, what do you think? I mean, obviously in looking in that between the two shows and seeing that work, there's a different, I mean, what to you, what was the main difference or like what you navigated between those two bodies of work? Um, are you talking about the, the show that just came down? Yes. Yeah. As opposed to the hyper pastoral one. Mm -hmm. um, so this past, the last show I was really, I had, I didn't really set out to have it be about AI and it's really not about AI, but it just kind of slowly did start to be. <laughs> to be about AI and it's not I'm not using AI and I, I I thought I I struggled with like how to communicate this like about the work that I'm I'm not using AI I'm not making a um a critique I mean maybe I am making a critique of it but I'm I'm more just like witnessing what I see and it's so prevalent and it seems like such a a topic that is is you know a real sea change that i didn't feel like i could really make it about anything else and um i i so what i did was i was originally kind of giving myself prompts like you would prompt a creative ai so i was kind of giving myself little triggers um like we all do but there was something about like seeing those images when they first came like through my death scroll of the, you know, those like AI images where, you know, and artists were already using them as art or calling it art or what, you know, you'd see these things and it, they all have like a look to them and they're really striking. And there's something like really like immediately, um, you know, there was a real novelty to them. And for me, the most interesting part was always when they get it wrong. So like the, you know, there's something perverse about it because, you know, the, the hands or the teeth are just, you know, it's like a, it's, they, they can't understand it. And it's, it's, um, that was what was most interesting about it to me. And, um, but I think that like, the novelty of it is kind of wearing off by the minute. And um, I think it's just, I was thinking about how it, you know, what is, what is art is, you know, is it, is it a product? Is it something that a human makes? And if it's something, the, the show that I had done just previous to that for Deborah, that was, that was in LA was all about, um, Frankenstein and, and, uh, Paradise Lost. And I was using those as kind of the impetus for that work. And it was about like sort of Eden or lost innocence, a fall from grace and a separation. Um, and then I started thinking when I was working on this new work, I was still kind of had the, that sort of the, the origin story in my mind. And I was thinking of AI as kind of being like having its own origin story and sort of it's, it's kind of, we're seeing where it's in its birth 
And then I was kind of personifying it too. So kind of like thinking about myself as a creative AI. Um, and it was just a, I mean, I, I, I don't want to put like too fine a pin on it in terms of like, you know, A equals B equals C, but it was all just kind of enough to, it was all enough meat to keep me very busy. Right. Well, the good thing is, I mean, that's all super interesting conceptual underpinning for making a group of work. But it's funny because when I see that work, I don't go there immediately. Yeah. Which is nice. So it's, it's kind of a great, I mean, I'm always a fan of my, in making work of never, you know, pinning the tail on the donkey or being too specific. I like gray area. And a lot of artists do, I think, because otherwise we'd write essays or, you know, right. uh, write manifestos. But I I think that that's a really interesting idea in relation to that, to the work, because, you know, the work doesn't scream that, but I, I could see the parallels that you're talking about are parallel sort of, um, I don't know, relationships, but not explicit you know yeah i mean i struggled with how much to talk about it or you know like because i don't think it really needs to be i think i i would hope that the work stands on its own yeah um but it's people are so interested in it and people want to talk about it so at some point i just like let the guard down and was like okay like i mean Honestly, that is what I was thinking about. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, That's a great thing, and I think it's a testament to the work. Because I feel like a lot of times people don't read the, the backstory, or a lot of people just go look at the work and may have their questions, but don't necessarily want it to be defined or, or zoom in on it. You know, they just mm-hmm. live in that. Not sure what that was about. You know, so it's really... It's really nice that people actually are, you know, want to figure out what is this about? What is going on? What's driving this? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. There was, there was also, there was something about, there's something about like, I was thinking about the concept of everything feeding back into this algorithm and everything's kind of getting regurgitated and regurgitated and some sort of like version of what we do with our own minds, you know, like, like all the images go in, all the ideas go in, and then this work comes out. But but AI is doing it kind of on steroids, and then it's becoming more and more diluted. And I think I would I I had like a sort of need for myself for my to combat it by making these really still images to kind of slow that feedback loop down yeah yeah no i i I, the thing about ai to me is that as we see more and more of it because it is in the beginning stages of it but it it's already becoming homogenized in a way where you could kind of see it or you really understand after encountering a lot of ai that it the, the gift of what an individual's voice or creativity is because there's nothing like it you can triangulate something. You could say, create me a painting that's Bonard-like with some wheel, and, and it has a little bit of Manet, and, uh, but it 
involves sponges and you know mm -hmm. uh, towels or something. Mm -hmm. It'll kind of do it, but it becomes predictive, or it, it just feels like you, it's almost like you could guess what it's going to look like based mm -hmm. on the way these things are combined. Whereas we do the same thing in our brains; like we have, you know, influences, we have tendencies. But the only thing is, so much of it is unconscious. So much of it isn't rote, but in AI, it has to be rote. It has to be given the prompt. Mm -hmm. And so much of what we do intuitively with our own hand or our own mind is not rote. It's unconscious. It's not defined. And it's really difficult to program that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but maybe there's a way to do it, but I just feel like less, not that I ever felt in danger of creativity being usurped by, you know, prompts or a, an algorithm, but I, I feel even less so as the days go by. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's something like, I think a lot of work, a lot of art is about putting things together that don't belong together to create a third meaning. Yeah. And that can be sort of prescriptive and you can always kind of tell when someone's just throwing two things, like pulling two things out of a hat and putting them together. Yeah. You know, and when, when a work is successful or a work like that is successful, it's when the things make sense, but they shouldn't. Right. And there's something about looking at those images that are made, um, through an algorithm or a prompt that, you know, it's just like, it doesn't pass the smell test. Like, you know, things that are bizarre are naturally interesting to us, but I think that we're getting pretty, we're getting like pretty wise to it pretty fast. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Those, it's like those robots that they make that are, trying to become a more and more lifelike so subtle different it's you it's disturbing in a way but it's also becoming expected you know mm -hmm. oh it's going to be kind of you know even if you look at in a creative sense a cgi it you know it grew really quickly mm -hmm. everyone started using it in movies but then it just started to become predictive like oh yeah you're gonna right. blow up that building and it looks like that right, right, and then right. there was a a, a scaling back from that and a, a real value of uh, even people are doing like stop motion things or right, know, right. I think it's natural. We always sort of like rebound back a bit. Right. Right. Which is why I just will always go back to painting. Yeah. It still has value. I think it's, it well, there's just like away. nothing. There's no, um, there, there's nothing that can compare to it. Like the amount of, it, for me, it's kind of like, I always compare painting to writing, you know, to the novel or the essay, because for me, it's like you, you kind of live in this world and that, and it sort of is outside of time and space. Um, but, you know, we know that the thing needs time to grow and so you can see time encapsulated in in there or yeah. you can feel it physically yeah, no, 
Uh, yeah. And you don't, there's a pace there that's unlike anything else or it. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. So this is all what's going on in your mind in the studio. It's heavy. Yeah, it's it is actually. Yeah, yeah. But you, and you've created this language though of, of imagery that's feels very you, you know, and I don't know if that's a combination of like where your mind's going and in relation to the landscape that you're encountering or imagining. And then a combination of some of these objects that you actually have that you use like chains or the shoes and, it's, it's an interesting lexicon of visual imagery that's playing out. And I totally understand in looking at the work too of, of why you would be working on several at a time because it's it, feel, it, it feels like this cohesive world that's talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And there's some creepiness in there. Yeah, for sure. I hope some humor too. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I do kind of need them all to be like in the works at the same time because I am, I have such like an ADD brain that like I'll just kind of put everything in there. And so I do try to like minim minimize my palette or have sort of a set palette that I'm starting with and then. I try to stick with that throughout the work. And then if I'm adding something, I kind of need to go back and rework some other paintings to make that light source make sense. Or the, you know, like this last show that I just did, I was really thinking a lot about like dense atmosphere. I was trying to make the paintings feel like as thick as possible. Yeah. That fogginess helps. Yeah. Like yeah and it was I mean and, and just you know partly just for a challenge for myself is that I feel like I've never been good at that and so I wanted to you know really try to master it I don't know if I did but um <clears throat> it was just something that I hadn't I was just trying to like teach myself a new trick um and then you know you're starting on one and it's like don't quite get there by the by the end I really got there yeah. And then I had to go back and like rework some of the other ones. Yeah. I could totally see uh, like in best wishes, some Turner, Turner-esque vibe to that yeah. you know, thick fog of whatever, you know, and the composition. And yeah, yeah. it's cool to see that. Um, if, if you had to, I know this is a hard question. Describe like who, what, music or musician do you think your paintings kind of look like oh i'm that that's really a hard question for me to ask because <laughs> i don't listen to music um have you ever heard music and you thought oh that's kind of my vibe or the vibe of my work i don't think that way because i i can't i can't for me music is like related to some kind of physical art it's like a physical art it's like dance mm -hmm. i could compare myself to authors go for it we can um, go that route yeah hmm that's a hard one too though i know these are tough i these feel like i'm right in this ones. weird i'm in a weird place with reading where I feel like I've outgrown some authors that used to mean a lot to me and I'm sort of in search of new things me too but, Dr. Seuss I feel yeah. like I've moved, finally moved on 
Babar. Yeah. No, but it's I her... love Dr. Seuss actually. In fact, I would totally I yeah, Dr. Seuss. That's that's me. Oh yeah, there's a little Loraxy <laughs> vibe, I guess, maybe. Yes, yeah. A whimsical sort of uh-huh. You know, I have to stop landscape. myself from looking because you know I read a lot of Dr. Seuss. Right, hop on pop. Yeah, um, and I have to stop myself from from copying him. Sometimes I'm like, wow, look at that droopy tree. Like I want to paint. I want. I want to do that. Yeah, it's pretty great stuff. It's and great. Talk about addictive. And those are like cigarettes when you start reading those things, and the kids love it. It's because it's so weird and playful and. You know, but then they're also very uh, soulful. Like I can't read Horton Here's a Who without crying every time. I know it's tough. Did you ever read Are You My Mother? No, that was a good one. Check it out. It's okay. like not. It's not a standard characters. It's just one of the side ones. But I, I really like that today. one. Shel Silverstein was. A whimsical, kind of yeah. dark, moody, yeah. weird, humorous, like all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I was like, as soon as I was really reading on my own, I was reading a lot of like Ursula Le Guin. I don't know Ursula. It's like sci-fi, I guess, but she's, it's more than that. I think they're really good. I still think they're really good. Cool. Yeah, sci-fi stuff can be really fun to read. I wish I had read more. I always joke that I don't read. This is when you're working visually all the time and doing talking and all that. So it's, you know, reading time is a real luxury, I feel like. It is. I'm, I'm trying I'm to, re- I, I <laughs> try to read, I'm trying to read more. I used to read all the time. I used to really read, like, I would say I would spend as almost as much time reading as painting. Um, and then at some point I figured out how to, I trained myself to really be focused on audiobooks Cause I think it's hard for some people to like stick with something when you're listening. Like I would listen to like yeah. the classics, like things that are 30, 40 hours long, which is like a big commitment. You kind of have to like, you know, it's, it's, you have to kind of train your brain to, to listen to that. Yeah, it's a long listen. Yeah. Um and then I think I my my reading I because I was like listening to these really long things during painting, I you know, didn't have as much time to read. Yeah. And I kind of let it go, but I I still read and I try I'm I'm my new year's resolution. Going to read, read book a more? month. Oh, that's so nice. Mine was uh, reading less. <laughs> Seriously, mine was to unsubscribe from all the junk emails that I get, which effectively is saying, I want to read less. <laughs> and man, it, it has not been easy. It's a real fight. To unsubscribe? It takes a lot of work. It does. Yeah. It's worth it, though. I can feel it. A little bit of the weight of that off my back. Yeah. There were other ones too. I'm not just that, you know, I had a couple other good ones, I think, but that was a big resolution. No more of this junk mail stuff. No. So you just had this big show. I'm, what do you, do you go into a period of, um, you know, 
sort of purging, like take some time away or did you hop right back into it? Do you have well, ideas? I just, I just did this mural. I just oh, got really? done doing Where? a mural for, yeah, for the MailChimp headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> I just got back from that. I was in, I was in Georgia. I will say most of my junk mail is not from MailChimp. Yeah, I mean, it, ironically, I, when I actually had to use Mailchimp in my brief stint as a, working at a gallery, mm -hmm. um, I hated it because yeah. I just hate email, and I was just like, "This is just more emailness." Yeah, and I just want less emails. Um, but it that was that aside, was, you painted yeah, a mural. It, it was a fun. It was a fun experience. I yeah. just did it one and done and um um now i'm working towards i'm at some point i'm going to have a show deboer opened up an, a second gallery in antwerp nice so i will have a show there and so now i'm thinking about what that's going to be um, so the wheels are turning yeah yeah and i'll do an art fair in between but yeah, I'm really just, I th you know, what I always do is after a show, I just kind of go back to the drawing board, like just draw for a couple months, three months. Literally the drawing yep. board. Yep. Yeah. Just drawing. Um, and because the work usually comes out of drawing. So and, it, and, and I have a weird, th <laughs> I have a thing where I can't draw in my studio too. Oh, really? Yeah, because the drawing, yeah, drawing is something that has to happen like not on the clock. So I have to draw like at my dining room table or like in bed when I'm watching a movie because it has to be like, like no stakes. Right. Like disconnected from that gravity of the, yeah. the, the studio. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. that's like, it's like that with musicians. They don't want to write songs in the studio. Right. They got to be doing it on a tour bus or just hanging out like in their bedroom or something or singing in the shower. It makes right. sense. The more right. open freedom there. You know? Right. Yes. And it does happen like when I'm in the shower or laying awake at night when I can't sleep. Kind of seeing things. That's all natural, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, listen, it was great talking to you. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thank you. It's really fun. I'm a big fun. fan of the work, so it was really cool. Thank you. Thanks. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by checking out images and information on Instagram at Sound and Vision Podcast or on the website, soundvisionpodcast.com. Many thanks to Kirsten for taking the time to speak with me. Check out her work. You can check out Hesse Flatow Gallery or DeBoer Gallery. You can also support the podcast by leaving a rating or review wherever you listen. And you can also pick up the book, Why I Make Art, the official book of the Sound and Vision Podcast. You can get that at atelieredictions.com. Many thanks to Golden Artist Colors, you can check out their acrylic, oils, watercolors, all their mediums at your local art store at goldenpaints.com and check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. We've got some great episodes coming up, so make sure you stay tuned. Thanks for listening, as always.